Why, hello there. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation or send a message through the KPL app chat, would love to hear from y'all and respond to you as necessary. There is some national stuff to talk about today, and I I don't want to go with the Trump stuff unless he is arrested during this hour, in which case I'll, you know, keep you guys up to speed on that. There is a website, uh, has Trump been arrested yet dot com. I think it let me make sure I sent it. Uh Let's see. What is the official web address here? Has Donald Trump been arrested dot com? According to this website, there's a picture of a squirrel and it says on nuts. Not yet. So you can tell it's not a fan of Donald Trump who has set up this site. However, if you want to know if Donald Trump has been arrested yet, just keep a look at that site. Maybe Uh, if it does, if the news does break, I will let you know and, and we will have coverage of that. But I want to focus on something that's a little below the radar today and. It feeds into a deeper problem that I've talked about several times, but that we're currently seeing once again, and that is malpractice in the media. And this 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 isn't a lefty media bias type story. This is actually much deeper than that. This is largely the problem with journalism. On its face, the mainstream media does have a leftward bent, and that informs a lot of their coverage, but it goes a lot deeper than that. There is um, and there's an entire field of study in the social sciences just on mass communication. I've expl- I think I've talked about this subject before, but, but one of the theories of mass communication is agenda-setting theory. This is a nonpartisan theory. This is a theory that states people in mass communication see it as their job to set the agenda for the day. Whatever they think is the most interesting, they believe it is their job to make you, the viewer, the consumer of news, the consumer of media, the part, the make you feel the same way they do as ter- in terms of what's most important. That's why this apparent possible arrest of Donald Trump is being pushed by media outlets. They think it's the most important news of the day, despite the fact that it changes nothing. Media on the left and the right, they want to write about it. They want to talk about it. They want to do news packages on it. The anchors want to discuss it. The talking heads want to opine on it. That's their agenda. They want you, the viewer, to think that what they say is the most important story of the day is the most important story of the day. And it trickles down from there. You know, it's the, if it bleeds, it leads stuff. It's the, you know, we always get the crime stories first. We always get the corruption stories first. We always get the investigations the uh, that unravel this deep conspiracy within the government or whatever. All of that leads the news. They put the hard work into these stories, into crafting these narratives and they want you to share the belief that these are the most important stories of the day. Now, Rolling Stone magazine, at the height of this push against fraternities and 
at the 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 height of the advancing Title IX, well beyond where it was supposed to go, stuff. Sabrina Rubin Ardelli, I think I'm saying her name right, was a reporter for Rolling Stone magazine, and she wrote this blockbuster bombshell story for Rolling Stone about fraternities and gang rape on the campus of the University of Virginia. And it was this explosive story. It was part of this whole narrative that fraternities are these super masculine, problematic establishments on college campuses, that women are being violated left, right, and center on college campuses, and we need to shut it all down. And then the story began to unravel. And as it turns out, the story was almost entirely made up to the point where the where Rolling Stone had to issue a full retraction. And if you go to the old website, the old hyperlinks to that story, it doesn't take you anywhere. The page no longer exists. It is a black stain on Rolling Stone's history because they were pushing this agenda. And the story was a great story, except for the fact that it was entirely made up. But it hit all those high notes. News outlets over the course of the last several years have pushed stories that they then retracted part or whole of because the story itself pushed the narrative. And the story, you get tons of clicks, you get tons of readers, and you get all this hype about what you've written, and then you roll it back quietly afterwards. Except Rolling Stone couldn't roll this one back quietly. They got sued for defamation by the fraternities on UVA's campus. They had to pay so much in damages they put themselves up for sale. They were then bought by the media company that own, that also owns Variety magazine. Back in October, Rolling Stone published this story about an ABC News producer, James Gordon Meek. Meek was a national security reporter. He reported on the intelligence community. He reported on national security. He reported on what we would call the deep state. He had all of these big stories. He had written tons, tons of things. He had this series that was produced for Hulu. And then the FBI raided his home in April. And we didn't know about it until October. And in early October, a writer at Rolling Stone wrote the story about an FBI raid on Meek's house and the fact that he had not been seen since. In the story that the writer, what's her name? Tatiana Siegel. In the original drafts of her story, she included information that she had gotten from her sources in the government, in the FBI, in the Department of Justice that said Meek was part of a federal investigation into images of child sex abuse. But there's a problem. Rolling Stone published the story excluding all of that. The initial reporting on the story came from Rolling Stone, which had promoted the story on Twitter by saying exclusive Emmy-winning ABC News producer James Gordon Meek had his home raided by the FBI. His colleagues say they haven't seen him since. Within the story itself, it said Meek appears to have been on the wrong side of the national security apparatus. The implication of the published story is that Meek's home was raided because the FBI did not like what he was investigating, what he was reporting, and they shut him down. My colleague at Red State, 
Jennifer Oliver O'Connell, wrote a piece based on that presumption. The FBI raided Meek's home and leaked information that Meek had classified information on his laptop, which precipitated the need to conduct the raid. Purportedly, the warrant and the reasons behind the raid should be under seal, but this is the nature of the FBI. And she's absolutely correct. Based on the information we were given at the time by Rolling Stone, that is exactly what happened. Except the information we got from Rolling Stone was heavily edited. The editor, Noah Schachtman, cut out all references to investigations unrelated to his work, as, to, to Meek's work as a reporter, and definitely didn't include any allegations that he owned material containing child sexual abuse. Siegel, the writer, and Schachtman, the editor, were at odds over this. From uh, a piece by NPR detailing this journalistic problem, a longtime national security reporter himself, Schachtman, has periodically expressed to colleagues at various outlets his skepticism of the veracity of government sources. When Siegel detailed the seriousness of the allegations against Meek, Schachtman warned her against turning in a story that included the words child pornography in it. The accounts given by associates, colleagues, and friends of the two key figures, Siegel and Schachtman, diverge here. According to what Siegel told others, Schachtman and, and she agreed that the article would reflect the FBI's interest stemmed from concerns of possible criminal behavior outside the, scopes, the scope of Meek's work. That is, it had nothing to do with national security or journalism. Schachtman later told others he did not believe that Siegel had nailed down her sourcing adequately. The Rolling Stone parent company, Penske Media, notes that the authority to make such choices for Rolling Stone's coverage lies with Schachtman. Siegel didn't have much say into the final piece that was published. She was at home at the time. Her mother was dying. In fact, her mother passed away hours after the report was published. But during the process, she was working remotely to nail down the final draft of her piece, to which Schachtman then edited all references to criminal investigations outside of Meek's investigative work out of the story. And what was published was a sensationalized, the FBI raided this journalist because of what he was investigating story which is completely false and not what the original report was supposed to read. But here's the problem. Schottman and Meek were friends. They ran around in the same professional circles. Prior to Meek's arrest, Schottman considered Meek a peer with whom he was friendly, according to associates. Schottman had told colleagues that the two men traveled in the same professional circles he boasts his own distinguished record as a national security journalist. Earlier in his career, he founded and led the security blog Danger Room for Wired magazine in 2010. The writer Spencer Ackerman referred in a post to the blog our friend James Gordon Meek. Shackman later worked for Foreign Policy magazine before becoming the number two editor of then editor-in-chief at the Daily Beast. In other words, they were peers in the same field of reporting. They were friendly with each other. There's social media interactions between the two. And yet, and yet, Schottman felt it was okay to edit out any information that might implicate Meek in something darker than he was reporting on stuff the FBI didn't like. I want to go ahead and take this break, and when I come back, I want to talk a bit more about why, why journalism is facing such ethical dilemmas right now. In the meantime, you can also call 232-1542 or send a message to the KPL app chat. I'll be back in just a moment right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. 
Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5. KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message through the KPL app chat. The, the issue of Rolling Stone here, again, it, this isn't about lefty partisan media. This isn't about uh, partisan bias one way or another. Uh, but it does tie into another issue, one that I've talked about here recently as well. When, when news outlets are chasing the audience and pushing an agenda based on what they think the audience wants, it tends to lead to editorial problems. In this case, Rolling Stone came up this editor decided to go with a very salacious framing of this story because that would be the way to, one, protect his acquaintance, his professional colleague, James Gordon Meek, but also still draw a lot of eyes to the piece and generate a lot of discussion. So he could protect a friend while also chasing the clicks. The media is addicted to viewership. And in the process, they are routinely, routinely chasing the audience. True ideology shouldn't require audience chasing. True ideology should require you being you, you being original, you being yourself. If Rolling Stone were itself, it would be doing all sorts of great music journalism. And it does do some pretty good music journalism. I'll give them credit for that. But in a world where the profit and the clicks, especially in the digital space, reign supreme, they have had to hire lefty writers to talk about these other serious issues and to do so from a partisan perspective that draws a lot of internet clicks and a lot of internet traffic. And as a result, they have veered more and more to the left. I mean, they've had pieces attacking people who use ivermectin. They, uh, they had, they, they, they they called one of the writers called uh, Joe Manchin like a destroyer of worlds, basically for opposing some environmentalism policy or or other. I mean, they they have fully bought into the ideology, but that's the ideology that generates a lot of clicks for the Rolling Stone audience. Now we're going to take a break for the bottom of the hour news, commodities report, and everything else. When we come back, there's another story out today following the chasing of the audience. We've got to go back to the Dominion voting systems lawsuit against Fox News and now two more lawsuits that have been filed against Fox News. And again, the problem is chasing the audience rather than the truth. More on that here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5. KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message through the KPL app chat. 
Love to respond to those uh, through the app as well. So a producer for Tucker Carlson's show has filed two lawsuits against Fox News. In one of the lawsuits, she is claiming that she was essentially being scapegoated by Fox's attorneys. The reason that Sidney Powell and others who were pushing the stolen conspiracy theory, who were saying the Dominion voting system was stealing the election, that it was her fault those people got on and, and were allowed to slander Dominion, which is what slant, which is what Dominion's claiming in its lawsuit against Fox. And this producer, Abby Grossberg, uh, is saying she will not be scapegoated. But also, in a separate lawsuit, she's claiming sexual harassment in the workplace. So there are two lawsuits now, but they are both tied to the Dominion lawsuit against Fox. Now, previous revelations from this lawsuit have shown that Fox anchors who had Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, uh, some of these other folks who were promoting the stolen election stuff in 2020, those show hosts, those Fox hosts, did not believe anything that those people were saying and were, in fact, trash-talking them, bad-mouthing them in text messages to each other. All this came out as part of the discovery in this defamation case. And the the media's gone absolutely wild over it. And, in fact, when it started coming out, I mentioned that one of the things that really bothers me, because this kind of came out around the time that, you know, we were remembering the death of Rush Limbaugh. And I maintain now what I've been saying then and, and since long before. Rush Limbaugh never chased an audience. The audience came to Rush. He never carried water for anybody. He was his own guy, did his own thing, and really in, reinvented talk radio as we know it today. Fox News was terrified, terrified of losing its audience to Newsmax and One American News. And so they kept pushing this stolen election stuff. They kept bringing the people who were touting that onto the air, even though they didn't believe any of it. But they were lending credence to it. They were, they were you know, letting these people come on the air and say whatever and, and, and say what they could about Dominion voting systems and things like that. And as a result, they gave themselves plenty of opportunity to be sued for defamation by Dominion voting systems, which is what's happened. In a statement, or rather in the lawsuit itself, this is what Grossberg, what Abby Grossberg is saying. Ms. Grossberg left the deposition preparation sessions without knowing that by giving such false, misleading, and evasive answers like the ones Fox legal team reacted positively to during the prep sessions, she not only opened herself up to civil and criminal liability for perjury, but was subtly shifting all responsibility for the alleged defamation against Dominion onto her shoulders and by implications and by implication those of her trusted female colleague, Miss Bartiromo. Rather than the mostly male higher ups at Fox News who endorsed the repeated coverage of the lies against Dominion. That is what Grossberg's lawsuit in federal court states. 
what happened after the 2020 election was media malpractice. Like Rolling Stone, Fox News was chasing its audience. They did not give all of the information, which in this case was largely what the show hosts actually believed and knew of the 2020 election. And they were lending credence to this theory of the stolen election because it was more salacious and would keep the audience with them. But as a result, the opposite has happened. Fox News has been losing a portion of its audience, but not because of its reporting, but the fact that we now know that they didn't actually believe what they were reporting. Those opinion hosts were saying things they knew were not true in order to keep the audience with them. They have damaged their own credibility because they were trying to chase their audience. But the other lawsuit filed by Grossberg isn't just about the Dominion case, although it's related. She's also alleging rampant sexism and misogyny behind the scenes at Fox, including, and I want to stop here before I continue, and I want to apologize to everybody in the audience, young, old, it doesn't matter. The sentence I'm about to say, I don't want to say, and it hurts me to say it, but this is part of the case, and it's part of Grossberg's lawsuit. She is alleging rampant sexism and misogyny behind the scenes at Fox, including images posted in the workplace that show, dear God, I'm sorry. Former U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in a plunging bathing suit revealing her cleavage. Okay, that's it. I'm never going to say that sentence again. It, it killed me to say it the first time. But anyway, moving right along. Grossberg also alleged that staffers were polled on two separate occasions on which two female candidates for Michigan governor on what, which the staffers, okay, wait, hang on, this sentence is confusing. Grossberg alleged that, quote, staffers were polled on two separate occasions on which of the two female candidates for Michigan governor they would rather have sex with, end quote. That's the type of water cooler, locker room type stuff that is happening behind the scenes at Fox News, but it's apparently happening out in the open And the female staffers at Fox News are not happy about it. Grossberg is just the one filing the lawsuit about it. But it ties into the Dominion lawsuit in a specific way. While being questioned under oath by Dominion's lawyers, she was asked to read texts written by Carlson. Those messages showed Carlson felt that Sidney Powell was lying and he referred to her as the C word. If I were to say the word, this show would end. But you know what I'm talking about. He also used other derogatory terms about Sidney Powell. The Dominion lawyers asked Grossberg if those messages made her uncomfortable. She told them at the time that they didn't, but she says differently in her lawsuit. Quote, in truth, Miss Grossberg knew full well that Mr. Carlson was using was very capable of using such disturbing language about women. She also knew how terribly she had felt every time she had heard her prior male superiors and colleagues at Fox News spew misogynistic phrases at her or within her earshot on a constant basis. Miss Grossberg also knew, however, and was conditioned to constantly remember that she could not do anything to jeopardize her new position, which was moving over from uh, Maria Bartiromo's show to Tucker Carlson's show, such as becoming Dominion's star witness. So again, she kept quiet. Because 
of the way Fox News handled the 2020 election and the fact that they were chasing their audience, the fact that they were trying, again, to set the agenda for their viewers that the stolen election stuff was the most important story, and that's what needed to be discussed. Because they were doing that to chase their audience and try to keep them with them, Fox News has now set itself up for a major defamation case from Dominion Voting Systems and subsequent follow-up lawsuits from staffers who felt they were slighted by Fox's lawyers, by the misogynistic uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, everything. In other words, as you and I learned when we were very young, honesty is the best policy. If you did not believe that the election was stolen, you shouldn't have Sidney Powell on your show. You shouldn't have had Rudy Giuliani on your show. Or Lynn Wood out of Georgia. Or any of these other lawyers that said they, they knew they had all this evidence that the election was stolen and it never materialized. And the Fox host knew it wasn't a legit thing. They swore by it in messages to each other. They were absolutely certain it was not a thing. But they covered it like it was because they were scared of losing their audience. Rolling Stone ran a salacious headline and a salacious story in order to protect a friend in the national security uh, reporting sphere, but wrote it salacious enough to draw all the clicks possible because they care more about their market share They care more about their clicks. They care more about their ratings than they do about the truth. And that's a media-wide thing. That is not just left or right. That is media-wide. There are people who are not being honest with their audience because they are so scared of losing that audience. We do not in this country have a free press because the press is so beholden to ideology and audience chasing that they will not be honest with you. It's unfortunate, but that is where we are right now. We do not have a free and fair press, whether it's on the right or on the left. So many people are beholden to the clicks, the audience, the ratings. They cannot actually say what they want to say for fear of scaring the audience away. It's corporate cancel culture, in other words. 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation, let's take this last break. When we come back, Out of New Orleans, the recall failed. How far short did they fall? Pretty far. We'll have the numbers, that and more, here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show, here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation. So the recall against LaToya Cantrell in New Orleans has failed. I think they submitted something like 67,000. They needed 45,000. Only 27,000 counted. The registrar voter in New Orleans basically threw out all of them, like well over half. About 40,000 of the signatures uh, were invalid in some way, shape, or form. I have the story up at uh, kpel965.com. 
you know, what's interesting here is that the loudest voices, I mean, Latoya Cantrell, Democrat in charge of New Orleans, but the loudest voices in this recall were Democrat activists in New Orleans. I mean, it wasn't conservatives that started the recall that launched it. There was some money that came in from people who were probably center-right, but a lot of the activists that were involved were Democrat activists. <laughs> I would like to take this moment to apologize to uh, Billy and Church Point. Um, I really, really am sorry for the Nancy Pelosi line earlier, Billy. I, I, I'm sorry. Um, please note that I said it on the air, but I actually had to write it at Red State early. And writing always burns something into the brain a little bit, mo- a little bit more. So uh, just know that I'm suffering uh, as much as the rest of you. Anyway, um, Latoya Cantrell, the recall election against her or the recall campaign against her has failed. It, like I said, something like 40,000 of the signatures were thrown out as duplicates or for some other reason. The registrar of voters handed the official numbers uh, over to the state and a little over 27,000, I think, was the official count. So they were, you know, 18,000 short of what they needed to get a recall election on the ballot, which is unfortunate. New Orleans, New Orleans deserves better. I mean, New Orleans isn't in, in a in a great place right now, but that's largely because of its leadership. Um, what does seem interesting, though, is that the city council, the New Orleans council, seems to have, uh, to put it bluntly, grown a pair. They are now being harder on Cantrell. They're they're going after her. They're showing more leadership themselves. So maybe some things could turn around in New Orleans just a little bit, not like a full 180, but a few degrees here or there might not be the worst thing in the world. Um, one other story, you know, uh, Thursday. So the, the federal reserve meets, I think tomorrow and Thursday, they're going to announce what they're going to do with the interest rate in financial reporting, really in any reporting, but especially in sports reporting and financial reporting, but financial reporting at the top of this list. Consensus is almost always wrong. Like people who try to predict what the Supreme Court is going to decide on a given case, it's really a crapshoot. Deciding what the markets are going to do or what the Federal Reserve is going to do. CNBC, I, I watched Squawk on the Street in the morning. Uh, it's part of my morning routine now. Um, I have it on the, the, at the desk in my home office. I've got dual monitors set up for my work and then a third screen, which is uh, which runs CNBC through Hulu and watch Squawk on the Street. I really love the first hours when they absolutely just hammer Jim Cramer for all the bad advice he gives. But then they actually go into some serious reporting. But a lot of the interviews they've been having lately are with, quote, financial experts. People who have been on Wall Street, people who have been in the big banks, people who have been financial advisors or investors or whatever. And they trot them out and they say, so what do you think is going to happen with the interest rate? Well, I think the Federal Reserve is going to pause it. They're going to give a much lower uh, interest rate height than we than they have been because of what's been happening with Silicon Valley Bank and this blah, 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 blah. Remember, the Federal Reserve could not care less 
about what Wall Street wants or what Wall Street thinks. The Federal Reserve has two missions. One, jobs. The strength of the job creation in the country. Its second job is to combat inflation. And the Federal Reserve has a goal of getting inflation to below 2%, at or below 2%. They're not going to ease up on the interest rate hikes simply because Silicon Valley Bank was bad at investing and regulators weren't paying attention to it. I still suspect they're not going to go for the the three quarters of a point. They're not going to go for the 0.75 points, but I think they'll go for a half point rate hike. Everybody else is saying, oh, maybe 0.25 or they're just going to pause it because of all the financial instability. I don't see that. I may be wrong in Thursday. I may just be proven wrong entirely on that. But the Fed has its mission and the instability of banks has been caused by people not doing what they're supposed to do. The stupidity of the banks is not the fault of the Fed. But all these people who are permanently on Wall Street and permanently talking Wall Street's talking points, they're the ones convinced the Fed's going to pause or slow down. Anyway, that's it for me. Shannon is off sides next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Email joe at redstate.com. Talk to you guys again soon.